let's give that hand clap to the Lord. Nobody's worthy like Jesus. Nobody's worthy like Him. Come on unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. Come on, lift up your voice. Would you just entertain His presence right now? We love you, Jesus. We worship you. You are worthy. You are holy. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are always faithful, always good. Come on now, would you just lift up your voice again? Come on, just entertain His presence. Ah, God, there's nobody like you. There's no one like you. You never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Lord is good. The Lord is good. Thank you for your prayers and your kindness. And I receive it. I receive the virtue of the Lord. Amen. I give, I give honor to your pastor and his wife. These are just great people. They're, they're apostolic, but they're Christ-like. They exude stability. You can tell they live with peace and contentment. These are just good people. And I consider myself blessed of the Lord this weekend to be here with them and with you. And have so appreciated our time with them. And... Uh, I said it this morning, and I trust you know it, but you're blessed. You're blessed. Now, you probably know this about your pastor, but he would be what you might say, the, the quieter one in the marriage. Well, in my marriage, I happen to be the quieter one of the two. And uh, my wife walked in the living room uh, yesterday and Brother Wright and I, we were just sitting there enjoying the quiet. And sometime after that, he stepped out and Haley came back in. And she said, like, do you, do you find it, you, you find it awkward? I said, no, not at all. <laughs> now, if I didn't like the person or something, maybe, but the, uh, I had it said to me years ago when I, I first met an individual I'm very close with now. He said, when I first met you, I thought you were depressed or something. We were on a five-hour road trip, and he said, you hardly talk. 
He said, I was wondering what is wrong with this guy. He said, and then I just realized that's just, that's just who you are. Well, I have something to say. I'll say it, though. If I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to make up words. I'll save them for Sunday. <laughs> Amen. But I'm so honored to be here with you uh, this weekend. And I just feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. I, uh, I have not come tonight to preach to you. I'm not going to preach uh, a high-octane message on faith. I'm not going to preach to you about miracles. I'm not going to preach to you about the power of God. But I do believe that miracles can happen in this house tonight. And uh, I didn't bring them in my suitcase. I don't, it's not me. There's nothing special about me. In fact, I think one of the, the defining marks of maturity in a local church is when you see the body engaged in ministry. Uh, many times, I think we can sometimes... I believe in fivefold ministry. I believe in order. But sometimes we can make the mistake of putting all the burden of ministry on those that lead us. Paul is pretty clear in Ephesians 4. Their job is to equip us that we, the body, the saints, would do the work of the ministry. And so I'm going to share with you some things that the Lord has dealt with me about over the past couple of years. And then I really believe if the body will enter into ministry, that miracles can happen in this house tonight. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 in verse 10. If you'll permit me, I'm going to read it from the, the New Living Translation. If you can uh, pull it up on your device or open your Bible to whatever translation you have and you'll certainly see the similarity but the Apostle Paul says I appeal to you dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other let there be no divisions in the church Let there be no divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I really tried to think of a good title for it this afternoon. I even appealed to my wife, and I don't have a title for you, but I do feel like the Lord is going to speak to us, and if we can just get our hearts into alignment with Him, I really believe that God can do miracles in this house tonight. So would you lift your hands and in total surrender to Him? Come on. With your own words, I want you to just begin to tell the Lord, I, I submit to you. I submit my life. I submit my heart. Lord, anything that would hinder the demonstration of your spirit and the ministry of your word, I pray you would flush it from our mind, purge it from our spirit. As Paul wrote to Corinth, I pray now in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that there would be perfect harmony one with another in this house. 
that there would be no division in this house, that you would bring us into one mind, united in thought and purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, let it be. Would you say it now in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. You can be seated this evening. We find it in Genesis chapter number 4. It's the story of two brothers that I'm sure you know well. Cain and Abel. The Bible would tell us that Abel was a keeper of sheep. His brother Cain is a tiller of the ground. One is a farmer of a herd. He is a herdsman. Another is a farmer of crops. The scripture would tell us that it was in the process of time that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, his brother, the Bible says, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And notice this. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why are you angry, Cain? Why are you troubled? Why is your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, if you would just do what's right, Should it not be accepted? But if thou doest not well, you got to know this, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now the setting of the story changes. They've left the time of sacrifice. The Bible says Cain begins talking with Abel, his brother, And it comes to pass while they are in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And now the Lord appears quickly and says unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? Now, I trust you already know this. We learned this back in Genesis. God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. He knew where Adam was and he knew what Cain had done. He's not asking because he needs to know. He's asking as a form of interrogative questioning, a way of bringing this guilty individual to be confronted with the reality of their actions. Where is Abel thy brother? And he has the audacity to answer the living God. I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, you were supposed to be. That, that's what this thing called family is all about. Yet, you were supposed to share in the care of one for another. And the Lord tells him, The voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I want you to see this, because this is quite profound to me. Verse number 11, God says, Now, this moment, Because of what you've done, now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Now, when you go till the ground, 
It shall henceforth yield unto thee, not henceforth yield unto thee her strength, and a fugitive and a vagabond thou shalt be in the earth. Now this is pretty significant to me because Cain, by skill and by career, is a tiller of the ground. This is his area of expertise. He can look at the soil and he can tell you when it's time to plant the seed. He can look out on the horizon. He can tell you, yeah, rain's on the way. He can tell you when it's time to tend the soil, when it's time to harvest. This has been his livelihood. This is his entire life. It's all he knows. But on this day, because of what he did to his brother, the Lord shows up and says, I just need to tell you something, Cain. From this day forward, the ground is no longer going to yield its strength. And furthermore, you are going to live as a fugitive and a vagabond. That is to say, your right of ownership just got forfeited by how you treated your brother. Let's go back a couple chapters because it it was just just three chapters prior in Genesis chapter 1. God started talking to them about this promise of dominion. He said, you're going to have dominion in every dimension. You're going to have dominion over what's in the earth, what's above the earth, and what's on the earth. God gave them dominion to, to rule, to subdue, and to replenish. And all was looking good until this day Cain couldn't control his attitude. But I I want you to see this now. Because on their way to the sacrifice, it looked like they were in unity. Walk with me. Set your Bible down and walk with me. We're just Cain and Abel. We're on our way to church on Sunday night. We got our our, our pants and our shoes and our jacket on. And it it looks like we're in unity. We're coming to church together. We sang together. We lifted our hands together. We come to the altar together. Everything looks good on the way to the sacrifice. I'm just going to tell you, I know I'm young, but I've seen a few things, and I have been around long enough to tell you. I've been to enough church services. I've walked into enough conferences, and I've been to enough meetings to know on our way in the door with our suit and tie on, it looks like we're all fine and dandy. We book our plane tickets and show up at the conference. We walk in the same hotel. We sing in the same room, and we eat at the same restaurants. But the fact is, when the sacrifice had concluded, when the conference was all over, when the church service They walked out of that sacrifice back into the field And the real condition of their heart got exposed When they got back in that environment And I'm just telling you We got to get to the point Where we quit hiding the issues in the house And we confront the error of our heart See, it looks like it looks like we're good now because we come to the sacrifice together We bring our offering together And everything looks good right now I get up here and I, I get in the altar I see somebody getting blessed and I see my brother getting blessed and God's touching him and God's using him and God's working in his life and all of a sudden it doesn't seem like it's so good for me I think well my goodness God why are you doing that for Abel why aren't you doing that for me why, why is this happening in his life and not happening in mine I, th- I think God knew what he was talking about when he said don't compare yourself among yourselves And I know you. we read the story and we think, well, my goodness, Cain really had an issue with his brother Abel. 
No, 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 no. Cain didn't have an issue with his brother Abel. It wasn't Abel that didn't receive the sacrifice. Cain had an issue with God. But as reckless as he was and as uncontrolled as his emotions were, he wasn't foolish enough to pick a fight with God. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to pick a fight. I think I can win. Abel, you had nothing to do with my encounter with God and God not receiving my sacrifice. That's between me and God. But rather than deal with my own issue, I'm just going to take it out on my brother that God has blessed and God is working through. And God says, wait a minute. That's not how my family's supposed to work. And so he kills Abel. And I, I don't know, I can't prove it to you, but I'm, I'm kind of inclined to think it probably wasn't this big, long, premeditated plan. It was probably this moment of uncontrolled rage, this moment where his flesh was in subjection and his reckless emotion got the better of him. And when he realized what he'd done, he tries to hide his brother's body, and right then God shows up. Hi, Cain. Where, where's your brother? How would I know? You, do you, you really think I am my brother's keeper? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Because that's what a family's supposed to look like. Thank you. You can sit down. That's how this is supposed to operate. It's okay now. i got to tell you something. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. It doesn't matter how much you know about the harvest. It doesn't matter how many rows of this field you've plowed. It doesn't matter how much seed you've put in the ground. It doesn't matter how much rain falls from the sky. All because of what you did to your own brother. I've got a message for you today. The ground is not going to give you a harvest. And furthermore, you have lost your right of ownership. You're going to live your life as a fugitive and a vagabond. And the Bible says he journeys east into a land called Nod. It literally means wandering. He lived his life void of purpose, void of direction. He didn't have no favor, no blessing. You know why? All because of how he treated his brother. I don't know, you, you can judge it, you receive it if you want, but this is kind of some of my observation in the past few years. We come into conferences and general conference and meetings and camps, and we shout about church planning. We shout about cities, and we sing together, and we go to church together, and we act like we're unified at the time of the sacrifice. But when the meeting concludes, we walk back out the door, and we get back in our fields, and we sit in living rooms and tables, and we start tearing one another down and disrespecting one another, and we don't don't realize what we're doing but we're cursing the very ground God called us to reach so you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can fast and outreach and evangelize and give and you can forfeit it all by how you treat your own family all the dominion God gave you you forfeited it in a moment of uncontrolled rage The innocent blood of your own brother that you spilled in this soil is going to steal the harvest. It's going to steal the ownership. It's going to steal the birthright, the dominion, the potential. All of it is gone because of that one thing. I know. I know. You thought your greatest obstacle was the devil. No, no, no. I'm telling you, the, the the greatest hindrance we have is not a principality. It's not a power. 
It's not a corrupt government. It's not a wicked mayor. It's not a wicked governor. It's not the Senate, the House. No, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's our inability to handle the humanity of people. Noah's son walks in that tent and sees his father drunk and naked. You know what he does? He turns around and he runs back out of that tent and he starts recklessly spewing stuff from his mouth. Whoa, you wouldn't believe what I saw in there. Dad got drunk and he's got no clothes on. What a fool. What kind of reckless individual is that? You know what he's doing? He's exposing the humanity of his father. And those two other brothers pick up a blanket and lay it on their shoulders and they start walking in backwards. It wasn't a validation of the mistake their father had made, but it was an unwillingness to expose his humanity. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Every elder I submit to, my own pastor, they're far from perfect. And if I wanted to, I could tell you some things that would make them seem not great as they may appear. But you, I'm not going to tell you. And if they wanted to, you could call my pastor. You could call some elders in my life. And they could tell you all the reasons that Dan McLeod isn't perfect. You could ask my wife. She could give you a long list of the reasons I'm far from perfect. But she's not going to. You know why? Because we've got this agreement, this mutual respect, this harmony of relationship. I'm telling you, what I really believe from God, the greatest obstacle we have in the modern apostolic church is our inability to deal with the humanity of people. I'm telling you, it is possible to deal with somebody in a way that doesn't validate their wrong, but neither demeans them by exposing their humanity. Oh yeah, you want to flip your tongue, you want to tear people down, that's great. But you're going to come out there like the son of Noah, whose lineage was cursed. I know on the one hand, it might be a little bit of human behavior, but I'm inclined to believe it's an old spirit of deception that that has found out how to manipulate emotions and, and, and flesh that's not crucified and wills that aren't surrendered to cause us to act in a certain way. Go to Acts chapter 16. The Bible said when they go to prayer, a damsel possessed of a spirit of of divination starts speaking. Now here's the fact. When you start praying, something's going to get stirred up. I got studying this. The Lord kind of started messing with some of my ideas. Now, I think sometimes we glorify the devil. You know, again, it's kind of what we do. You get somebody who tells you a spooky spiritual story. That's We're going to put them on a pedestal. Listen, I, the first, we walked in, my wife and I were just newly married, and I got a call from a pastor's kid. The pastor was away. I walked into this lady's house from the church I'd grown up in, and her 16-year-old granddaughter is hanging over the back of a chair. And when I walked through the door, it was very clear to me she was possessed of a devil. I had no idea what to do. I didn't teach that in Bible school. But I heard stories about missionaries who have things like this. And they'd say, well, you know, tell me your name. So I get down, I look her right in the eye, I say, what is your name? And I tell you, before God, she came three feet off that chair and hit the floor and started convulsing. I believe in it, but I'm not going to lead you on some false conclusion. That is not the reality of everyday living. 
And so the Bible says this damsel is possessed. Now I know we talk about possession. The story I just told you is the kind of image that comes to your mind. The Bible says she's possessed. It's the Greek word echo. It's where we get the English word echo. She has literally become an echo chamber for a demonic spirit. And what is she saying? Oh, these men, they're servants of the Most High God. You think, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the truth? Were they not men of God? Had they not come to preach the gospel? Oh, yes. The information was true, but the motive was wrong. Because her proclamation of truth validated her in the eyes of the people. And now when she goes back to her little soothsaying table, her truth that has validated her has increased the customers in her own business. So you see it now. The demonic spirit uses her mouth as a means of validation, of selfish validation. Now, I'm not advocating that, that a spirit-filled believer is literally possessed of a spirit. But I am telling you, it's possible for your mind and your emotions to be influenced by demonic spirit. Where your mouth becomes an echo chamber of thoughts and words that are not of God. And you say, well, what's wrong with this? What I'm saying is true. Oh, yeah. The information might be true, but the motive is not pure. You're not saying it to build them up in the eyes of the people. You're saying it to build yourself up in the eyes of the people. And what was the end result? The chief magistrates and soldiers come and take them prisoner. And the Bible said they rent their clothes. In other words, they rip their clothes off them. What are they doing? They're exposing their humanity as an act of humiliation. That word divination is the Greek word python. Now I know there's all kinds of wacky charismatic preachers who preach stuff about the spirit of python and they put pythons on the platform. And I'm just going to tell you, God could have identified that spirit any way He wanted to. He chose that to reveal to us something about the nature of our adversary. It's a suffocating spirit. It just it restricts you. And it immobilizes you until you feel like you're dying because you have no breath left. It's possible for our uncrucified flesh and our unrestrained emotion to become a gateway for the enemy to use us to bring detriment against God's own body. You think, my. Well, I was just saying, I was just talking about what happened. I was just saying this, yeah, and you justify it because it's true information. But you really have to bear your soul before the Word of God and let God and God alone search your motive. The Bible says the Word of God is sharp. It's quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. Only God and God alone. Only His word is so precise as to pinpoint the exact motive. There's one other place in the book of Acts you find 
demonic activity revealed through the language of the manifestation of a serpent. It's in Acts 28. Paul and the prisoners on that ship are capsized and shipwrecked by storm and they make their way to the shore. The Bible says some are floating on the wreckage of the boat. Some are swimming to shore. They finally get there and the Bible identifies the people of that land as barbarous. You know what that means? It means they're uncivilized. They're not, they're not conditioned to proper human conduct. They're barbarous people. But in this case, the Bible says they showed them kindness. I don't know, but I'm kind of inclined to think that perhaps it was the call of God on Paul's life. And the prophetic word he had that God had told him where he was going and who he was going to stand before that brought every spirit in that area under his influence. And those that the Bible identifies as typically having no respect to proper human conduct in this case, show them kindness. And what do you think most people are going to do? You know you're, you're on your way to Rome. You're about to be taken prisoner and there's a shipwreck and you float up on shore. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what most honest people be doing. They'd stand there and be thinking, you know what? This is my chance to break free. All the soldiers are scattered and all their equipment sinking out there. Here I am. This is my chance to break free. I don't have to spend my future in Rome. Yet the Bible says that Paul is going about gathering sticks to put on the fire. In the midst of his own plight and problems, in the midst of his own suffering, he's serving other people. So don't tell me you can't do it because life is hard. No, here is the Apostle Paul as a prisoner on his way to jail in the middle of a storm after his life has almost been lost and he's serving other prisoners. Here he goes throwing his wood on the fire. And the Bible says a venomous snake comes up out of that fire and bites him on the hand. All of a sudden, the voices start rising. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had it coming. He didn't die in the sea. He's going to get it now. He had it coming. He deserved it. Yeah, that, that wretched man, that murderer. Yep, justice finally got him. And they start talking. Yep, done with him. Off with his head. That's the end of Paul. He deserved this. They got no time for him. They're done with them. The only reason they're living is because Paul had a word from God. Yet they got no time for him. He just got what's coming. And while they're casting their accusation, he just shakes it off in the fire. And now the voices change. Woo! He must be a God. I don't know about you, that's kind of what I see in a lot of human behavior. One extreme or the other. You put a guy in the UPC on a conference platform and let him preach one good message, and we'll make a celebrity of him. We'll let him be a God among us. He'll preach every meeting we have. 
and we'll put him everywhere, and we'll, we'll just, we'll just, he'll be a celebrity. Everyone wants his picture. Everyone wants to tweet this, post that, and this and that. We'll make him a god. And on the other hand, you find somebody who goes through a little difficulty, somebody who stumbles, somebody who falls, somebody who had a little hard season. We all, oh, we don't got, they, they had it coming. We don't got time for them. We'll cast them off. We'll get, I'm telling you, it's our inability to deal with the humanity of people. It's not the president. It's not the government. It's not the devil himself. I'll tell you why we don't walk in the dominion God has for us. We don't know how to handle humanity. The fact is, the truth was somewhere in the middle. There was a time in his past he had been a murderer and justice was chasing him down. But there on the road to Damascus, God himself in his mercy came and introduced himself to him. No, he wasn't God, but he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the truth is, he's not a murderer and he's not God. He's somewhere in the middle. But what's our tendency is to try to put somebody in one camp or the other. I'm going to put you over here. I'm going to put, because it's a lot easier to do that than it is to, to do the gruesome task of dealing with the humanity of people. Yeah. Here's the fact God will allow you to be bitten by the serpent. He protected Paul from the poison, but not the bite. I'm going to let you endure the criticism. I'm going to let you hear the remarks. But if you keep your spirit right, offense, the venom of offense won't get in you. The venom of bitterness won't overtake you. I'm preaching to you some things that I I have lived and experienced. We went through a little thing a few years ago where where there was a a member of our district board casting baseless accusations. Over just silly stuff. And I knew, I knew everything they had said wasn't true. And you know what? Dan McLeod was ready to fight. I was ready. I wasn't afraid to walk into that boardroom and defend myself. Because I knew before God where my heart was. I wasn't afraid. But i got to tell you something. Every time the will of Dan McLeod would rise. And something would come up in me. Ready to fight. I could feel the Holy Ghost grieve. Because... God help us. Our tendency to self-defend is as much pride as anything else. Oh, I know you don't like that with your American mindset, but he, like a lamb led to the slaughter, opened not his mouth. Oh, I know my flesh didn't like it. I was ready to fight. I knew I was innocent. But the problem was every time I got ready to defend myself, every time something would rise up inside of me, ready to go to battle, ready to protect my name, ready to protect our story. No, I could feel the Holy Ghost grieve within me. Here's what God was teaching me. You can't deal with the humanity of other people until you first learn how to deal with your own. And the only way you learn how to deal with your own is when I allow you to endure the bite. I'm going to let you hear the remarks. I'm going to let people drive spears into you. I'm going to let people in circumstance crucify you. 
I'm going to let them press on your ego until there's no more ego left to press. I'm going to let them keep working on because until you can deal with your own humanity, you can't deal with the humanity of other people. So Paul says, in Galatians 5, this I say, that if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now I know we talk about walking in the Spirit. We get this idea. If I'm going to walk in the Spirit, God's going to start doing miracles through my life. I'm walking the spirit. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. Pastor, I'm going to see the blind eyes open. I'm walking in the spirit. So this is the problem. We become conditioned by our performance mentality. That our default is to think walking in the spirit is primarily connected to the performance of ministry and not relationship. You can't even walk with God except you walk in the spirit. So it's not primarily about what you can do for Him. It's about the relationship you can have with Him. And He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now let's just see what the lusts of the flesh are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. You think, man, I'm all right, preacher. I've been around this church thing for a while. Now, now sexual immorality, I'm okay. Uh, impurity, lustful pleasure, so I'm all right. Idolatry, sorcery, definitely not. I don't do none of that. Drunkenness, wild parties. I left that when I got the Holy Ghost years ago. But sandwiched in between those more extreme things. Hostility, quarreling. Jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish. Ambition, dissension, division, even envy. So what's he saying? He's saying your only ability to resist those things in your life is by walking in relationship with Jesus Christ by His Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So I, the only way I can deal with the envy that is part of the nature of every single human being is by walking in the Spirit. The only way I can subdue the hostility that is ingrained within the fabric of my human nature is by walking in the Spirit. See, I, this is a little reprogramming to what we've been conditioned for. Because to us, it's all about ministry. It's all about miracles. It's all about performance. It's all about doing and accomplishing. And we talk about walking in the Spirit. We've got it wrong. It's about relationship. And out of the purity and the sincerity of that relationship, God starts working in a way that you wouldn't even know you were a part of it. Because the glory was never meant for you. It was meant for Him. And then he starts talking. Then he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular fruit. It's a singular thing. A singular work of the Spirit that starts manifesting itself in these nine virtues or characteristics in your life. Because I know, I know you've been where I've been. You, you know what? You remember the flannel graph in Sunday school. Grapes and banana and apple and peach and 
So we were, see, we're conditioned with this idea. It's these nine things. No, it's a singular fruit. It's a singular work of the Spirit. Because what you want to do is you want to find the things that you have a natural disposition towards. Oh, you, you, you're inclined to be patient by nature. So you think, well, I'm just going to emphasize this patience thing in my life because it comes more easy to me. No, you don't get that liberty. Because it's a singular fruit. And further, where does fruit grow? On the branch. And he said in John 15, he is the vine and you, we are the branch. But the ability of the fruit to come forth to the branch is dependent on the branch's connection to the vine. See, see when, I, when I'm connected to the vine... And something starts rising up in me that wants to respond out of my flesh. That wants to defend my image and my ego and my name and this. And wants to say things I shouldn't say. And, and the spirit grieves within me. That's the vine saying, I can't flow into you what I have to flow into you. I know your nature is to be hostile and envious. And I know your nature is to quarrel and say things. But if you're connected to the vine, in the moment when your flesh wants to react, the vine is going to put something in you that restrains your tongue and purifies your motive. And so all of a sudden, see, your patience is not enough. Your kindness is not sufficient. Your love is not enough. The realities and the dilemmas of this world will deplete you of those things. And you've got to draw from a source that is unending. I don't have it in myself. I don't. It's not in me. I don't have it. I'm not capable of producing it. Except I'll be connected to the vine. And all of a sudden... His nature and His virtue and His characteristics start flowing into me. And when everything in Dan McLeod is ready to fight, and when everything in Dan McLeod is ready to go to battle, and the Spirit says, oh no, you know what you're going to do? You're going to suffer a long time. And you're going to suffer with joy. And you're going to be kind to the people who weren't kind to you. And you're going to serve the people who wouldn't serve you. And if God starts doing something for you that He didn't do for them, you're not going to get this inflated sense of self and think you're better. I'm going to flow meekness through you. That i got a question for you tonight. If the miracle that you need and the thing that you've prayed for and you waited for a long time, God put in the hands of somebody in this house that you don't like and you can't tolerate, would you have the humility to bow before them and receive it? Or would you be so self-righteous and prideful? See, the, the reality of our heart will be revealed. telling you our greatest obstacle is our inability to handle the humanity of people we want to make them a god or we want to tear them down we want to put them in this camp or that camp we, we, we no i'm telling we've got it all wrong and it's our inability it's our inability to handle the humanity of people that has god showing up and saying hey i know you've been fasting i know you've been praying i know you've been evangelizing but the problem is when you looked across the altar last sunday night and you started tearing down that individual in your mind you forfeited all those prayers you walked away from 
all those promises. You turned over that dominion because I can't do it. This is our problem. It's our greatest obstacle. Our inability to handle the humanity of people. I'm not telling you it's easy. In fact, it's quite hard. It's very hard. It requires very vulnerable conversations. It requires a great measure of honesty. It requires a great deal of brokenness before God and before one another. But I'm just telling you, we can have conferences and we can shout about church plants and reaching cities and taking nations until Jesus comes. But if we don't get this thing right, it's never going to happen. I know you said preacher I'd never kill my brother I'm not violent like that no the problem is the action of sin that brought attitude in the old covenant is brought by the attitude of the sin in the new covenant so John says in 1 John 3 whosoever hateth his brother is already a murderer The word hateth, it literally means to detest. But Strong says by extension, it just means to love less. God help me. Because I know after preaching this, God probably going to test me with this in the next few days. And I'm going to have to go find a place on that campground to crucify my flesh. And kill the part of me that doesn't like this. Because you know what I want to do? I want to kind of make my way through the crowd. And I want to find the people whose personality just gels with mine. Because it's easy to love them. But it's the people I love less. That's hate. Well, you say, well, I thought hate meant I had to vandalize their house or slash their tires or tear them down or cuss them out on Facebook. No, 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 no. It just means that in your heart, in your attitude towards them, you demean them or treat them as less than you would treat somebody else. We were in the process of church planning. We might have 15 or 20 people meeting in a little conference room. And you know who started showing up every week? A drunk homeless guy named Chris. He was dirty. He smelled. His alcohol was on his breath every week. And at first I didn't have much patience for him. And then God had to start dealing with me. And showing me the problems within my own heart. And the lack of fruit working in my own life. Until I got to a point I could love Chris. And I could, I could serve Chris. and I couldn't give him a house to live in. I couldn't fix all of his issues. He didn't surrender to the degree he needed to. But, but I could love him and I could be kind to him. I could give him food and I could, I could give him money, get a meal. I could, I could help him out here and there. It wasn't too long after we started loving Chris. You know who showed up? A real wealthy family from England. She was a doctor. He was a businessman. And they showed up and woo, they were writing big checks. I'm going to tell you, when you got 15 people in a meeting room and someone shows up with big checks, praise God, it catches your attention. All good. Until he starts asking questions like, well, how do, you, how do you get on the church board around here? 
Well, wait a minute, brother. You don't even got the Holy Ghost yet. And he's sitting in my living room. He said, you know, you don't really deserve to live in an apartment like this. You need to have a house in this city. I'm going to help you buy a house. I'm like, okay. I know what you're doing. You think your money can buy your way into this church and buy your way into my life. Ah, I'm going to work. Now, here's what God started teaching me. Dan, I'm going to test you with people on both ends of the spectrum. I'm going to put people in your life who have nothing to give you and are a burden to you to see if you'll treat them like I treat them. And then I'm going to put people in your life who could give you everything you think you need and want to see, will you sell out on me and will you turn your back on the principles of my word and be bought out by some impure motive man? See, God had to test me before he could move our church to the next dimension of growth. God had to show me my own humanity and then test me with the humanity of others before he could move our church. And I wish I could stand here tonight and tell you that it was a class I graduated from a few years ago and I've never had to take again. But it seems to me it's something God just makes you take year after year after year after year. And I really believe this is our greatest obstacle. It's not principalities and powers. It's not the strongholds over regions. It's not the seed of Satan. He dealt with all that. The Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers in the cross. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to have everything you need to deal with that stuff. Our problem is our inability to handle the humanity of one another. And so God shows up and says, hey, I know you've been praying about this. I know there's prophecy in the soil of that city. But the problem is, I can't do it because of what you did to your own brother. Go read Colossians 3. Go read Ephesians 4. Put away evil communication. Be kind one to another. Be tender-hearted, forbearing one another. Having lowliness of mind. Go look at the word. It's a word that means modesty. I know we're apostolic. We know what modesty means. We like to preach about modesty of attire. But I'll tell you the detriment of, of my demographic in this day is we have no modesty of attitude. What is modesty of attire? It, it's, it's to, 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 to dress, to clothe yourself in such a way that you don't show everything you have. Because there's some things that were reserved for covenant and for intimacy. And so to have lowliness of mind or modesty of mind or attitude is to live and conduct yourself in such a way that you don't reveal everything you are and all that you have. You should have to spend a little time with somebody before you know everything about them. But the problem today is we got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and we just we put it all out there. And the problem is 
We've got a systemic issue among us. It's, ha- it's been around for a long time. They were running around Israel saying, give us a king like everybody else. We want a king like everybody else. And we're running around the North American church looking at ESPN and Fox News and all these celebrities. And we said, well, g- give us a celebrity like everybody else. Give us this. Give us that. And we're making people gods among us. It's our inability to handle the humanity of people. And because of it, God says, hey, I know you're working here. I know you've been toiling in the field. I know there's seed in the soil. But the problem is, the harvest is now prevented by your inability to live in harmony with your own brother. I told you it wasn't the kind of thing we want to shout about. But this is the reality of where we live. We went to a district to start a church. Our first meeting with the North American Missions Board, the first, I'm telling you, we sit in the room, and these are the first words that are spoken to us. When I caught wind of this situation, in a city of half a million people with two churches, how is starting a church a situation? I'll tell you how. When you live with a disposition of distrust towards your own family. You hadn't even heard us out. Didn't know the plans. Didn't know the vision. Didn't know where we were going, when we were coming, or what we were going to do. You just knew we wanted to start a church. But the reality of your heart was revealed through those words. I'm preaching to you things that I have learned and lived. And I'm sincerely, I'm telling you what I feel from God. The greatest obstacle we have among us is our inability to live in harmony one with another. And after going through a few things and trying to work through some things in my mind and in prayer and counsel with the Lord and the study of His Word, I was in prayer about this, what I'm sharing with you tonight one day. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And this is what he said. I trusted the United Pentecostal Church with truth. But I need to know, can I trust it with people? What's easier for God to go down the road? To some pure motive Baptist preacher and show him the revelation of truth? Or to get us to a place of humility where we're willing to deal with our humanity? Is God going to have to come to some Muslim on the other side of the city by a dream? Or can he walk through our church and just deal with our humanity? Oh, he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to reach them. The question is, are we going to be the ones he uses? Or is he going to have to go somewhere else? I know sometimes there's legitimate issues that we've got to deal with. But there is a way to deal with it. And it's by the fruit. And it's in love. See, I, I, I've been around. 
I've been in the circles. I've heard the conversation. You put a man on the platform, let him prophesy a little bit, let a miracle happen through his ministry, let him preach a great message. We're going to make him a celebrity. That's what we're going to do. And then we find a little problem. We're going to put him way over there. Oh, he had it coming. He's no good. Tear him down, cut him off. It's our tendency and that inability to handle the humanity of people keeps the harvest from coming forth. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? God, purify our hearts right now. Purify our motives. Give us love one towards another. Let your perfect love cast out the fear Our tendency to be creatures of self-preservation and preserve our ego and our image. Let it die now. We trust our reputation with you. We trust our life with you. Who we are, all that we have, we trust it with you. The mark of real spirituality was not the ability to flow in one of the nine gifts. He said, ye which are spiritual, restore one another. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what meekness does? Meekness considers that it can happen to you the same way it happened to them if you don't deal with your own humanity. And when you realize that your humanity is just as vulnerable as theirs, it gives you a graciousness by which you'll deal with theirs. That is real spirituality. Restore. Deal with their humanity. Work them. Build them up. Repair them. Put them back together. God help us. Listen. I've been, I've found my way stumbling to certain, call them circles, groups of people. And you realize, okay, well, if I'm eating dinner with this group of people, if so-and-so sees that I've appeared to align myself with this person or fellowship with this person, now I have to be at odds with that person because these two people are at odds with one with another. This is the kind of nonsense I'm talking about. Well, you, you know, you, you ate with them or, or, you, or you preached there or you fellowshiped at their house or you did this. So now you can't have no part of me. I know, don't worry, we're, we're coming back to a place where there's going to be a spirit of ministry that flows through this body. And if you, with purity of, of spirit and motive before the Lord in love towards your brother and your sister, I'm telling you, miracles can flow through you in this house tonight. That, that prodigal comes home. And 
it seems to me he's not even in close proximity with his father. Because if there's a party happening at daddy's house, you think I'd be inclined to go see what's going on, but he asks his servant first, not his father. He's unwilling to even go in the house. Daddy comes out. You, you never did this for me. You, you, you never killed a fatted calf for me. You never threw a party for me. You didn't ever put the pretty suit on me. You didn't give me new shoes. You didn't get me new no ring. No hat. Why are you doing this for him? See, here's the problem. That elder brother had probably sat in the living room night after night and month after month and year after year. And he watched tears run down his daddy's cheek when he saw the grief of his father's heart caused by his own brother. And somewhere in seeing the pain his own father was experiencing, he allowed it to develop an attitude towards his own brother. He could say, I can't believe my brother did this. I can't believe he treated my father like this. I can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But the fact is, as soon as that brother turned his face towards his father, daddy came running to him. You don't have to like it. That's just the Bible. That dad looks back at that elder brother and says, what do you mean? What do you mean I never killed the fatty? What do you mean? All that I have is thine. This is the problem. He'd allowed the heartache the family endured to develop an attitude in his heart towards his brother. And his attitude towards his brother kept him from realizing the access he had in his own father's house. I'll tell you why there's not more miracles happening. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we're not growing like we could. I'll tell you why. It's because we've got attitudes rampant in the body, one towards another. And it keeps us from accessing what is rightfully ours. What do you mean I've never done this for you? Everything I have is yours. The gifts of healing is yours. Working of miracles is yours. Blessing is yours. Provision is yours. Prophecy is yours. This is yours. But you were so focused on your brother through the perspective of your grief and your unforgiveness that you didn't have the time or the vision to access what I made available to you. I'm telling you, if we get this right, if we get this right, nothing will be restrained from us. Just lift your voice. Come on, some of you might need to pray for forgiveness right now. 
You might need to repent of that attitude. Of that thing you've been carrying. You don't got to repent all night, but you might need to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the attitude I've harbored in my heart. Forgive me for the things I've thought, I've desired, for the things I've said. Purify me, God. Purify my heart. Purify my motive. You say, preacher, you don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what they did to my family. You don't know how they hurt this church. You don't know. No, I don't. But this is what I do know. If they come to the place where they turn their face towards the Father, the Father's going to go run towards them. And rather than stand off in the distance, being skeptical and bound by your grief and your unforgiveness, you ought to just tie up your shoes and run with your Father. He didn't say we were going to be known by our power. He didn't say we were going to be known by our music or our buildings. We weren't going to be known by our suit and ties. No. He, not even by the name on our sign. No. Not by the name of our fellowship. No. He said by this. What was this? Love. By your love one for another. That's how you're going to be known. Say, preacher, I don't know if I have it in me. No, you don't have it in yourself, but he does. Draw from the vine. You got to get it from the Spirit. You don't have enough forgiveness in yourself. You don't have enough patience. You don't have enough love. You don't have enough kindness in you. There's not one of us that does, but he does. We'll give you this scripture. We're going to repent together. And then we're going to shift gears. And we'll give you a verse, four verses, that are going to help be a metric, a measurement for your own heart and your own life. Psalms 140, verse 1. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man which imagines mischief in their heart. Continually they are gathered together for war. Their life is defined by contention and strife and conflict. Verse 3 says, They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The psalmist gives us the measurement or the metric of what the scripture calls an evil man. It began as mischief in their heart 
until they sharpened their tongues and there was poison under their lips. So it goes from their heart to their mouths until verse 4 he says, Keep me from the hands of the wicked. It began in their hearts. It found its way to their mouths until the work of their hands had showed the error that began in their hearts so long ago. I tell you before God, I have had to repent for tables I have sat at and conversations that maybe I didn't really participate in, but I tolerated. Because now I know If they were at a place where they would publicly speak that, oh God, it's been turning in their heart a while. And if they're not careful, what's coming out of their mouth is soon going to be a knife in their hands driven through the back of their own brother. I'm telling you before God, we have cities in churches, in districts that lack harvest and are stuck in the stagnant cycle of traditional repetition. And it's not because they're not preaching truth. It's because they haven't learned how to handle the humanity of their own family. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to lift your voice. And would you just repent to God? You say, maybe, I, preacher, I can't think of anything I really need to repent of. Well, just ask God to purify your motive. Father, forgive me for everything I've said that I shouldn't have said. For every time my motive wasn't right. For every time my ego got the better of me. For everything I tolerated that I should have stopped. I don't want to curse the soil of my own heart. I don't want to curse the soil of my family or my church or the city you've called me to. I need you to forgive me, God. I stand tonight in need of your mercy and your grace. Wash me. Cleanse me, Lord. Wash my mind. Wash my heart. Lord, I pray you'd fill my heart with your perfect love. Give me your love for my brother and my sister. Give me your love that will allow me to handle my own humanity and the humanity of others. Give me that perfect love that casts out all fear. That fear that tells me I've got to preserve myself. I've got to protect my image. Help me become more like you. Lord, you showed such strength of character when you knelt down in that garden and said, Nevertheless, not my will. Give me that kind of strength, God, to crucify my wants and my desires, my pursuit of pleasure and comfort. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about your body. It's about your kingdom. It's about this family. Give me that kind of love that would neglect myself, that would afflict myself, 
that would serve my brother, that would give a cup of water in your name, that would take the coat off my back and put it on another. Give me that love for the person sitting in front of me and behind me. Give me that love for the one on the other side of the church. Give me that love for the house across the street. Give me that love for the coworker who's been irritating me the past couple of weeks. Give me love for my boss that's been a pain in my side. Give me love, God. Give me love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I want you to just tell the Lord, say, I receive it. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. I receive that perfect love. The love that you love me with, I receive it now in the name of Jesus. The love that you love my brother with, I receive it right now in the name of Jesus. The love that you love every member of this house with, I receive it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Stand together with me. Bible said he lifted up his eyes and having compassion. You say, how, how can he have so much compassion? He didn't know them. He didn't know their name. He, he, he didn't know their story. No, all he knew was they were like sheep not having a shepherd. They had nobody to come alongside them and guide them to green pastures and still waters. So we looked at them and compassion started working. You might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you right now in the Holy Ghost. If you'll be sensitive to the Spirit right now, God's going to put a compassion in you here in just a moment towards somebody in this house. And that's the Lord indicating to you that there's a love working in you. And if you act on that love, see, I know you, you, you thought the gifts of the Spirit and the power, it required a certain beat on the drums and a certain song and a kind of octane preaching. No, 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 no. no. It really has very little to do with the atmosphere. It has everything to do with the attitude. And our disposition is to come and just kind of pray with the people we always pray with because we gravitate towards those we're comfortable with. I, I want to push you past that right now. And I want you to be sensitive to the Spirit. Just take a minute. Look across this house. This is your family. These are the people... That by His blood and by His name, he's, he's baptized you in the same family. Made you one body by His Spirit. These aren't just the people you, you come and sing with on Sunday. These are the people you live life with. You fight together. You win together. You suffer together. You celebrate together. and You cry together. Take a look around. Because when you look at someone, there might be a little something that starts turning in your heart. A little unction, a little compassion, a little nudge from the Spirit. That's God trying to move on you and let you know. If you'll just follow it right now, I could start working through you to minister to them. And it might be, because He's been known to do it. 
that God could move on somebody that historically you might have not had much interest in. Maybe you've not had much patience toward them in the past. But what if on this Sunday night, the miracle that you need, God put in their hand. If they have the humility of attitude to walk over to you and say, I just feel like I need to pray with you. Would you have the humility to put the walls in your spirit down and build a bridge by humility? Because the Bible says every joint supplies. See, there's a flow through this bone that's got to get to that bone. But the supply comes. When there's a joint, when there's a joining of two members, there's a supply that's accessed. But we don't get it. Because we don't join the way we've got to join. I'm telling you. I preached in a church some 10, 12 years ago. It was pushing 200 people going into a 600 seat building project. And I knew by what the Spirit showed me what was working in that church. And as they were getting ready to break ground and move into that place, I knew it. So you know what I did? I preached on pride and I preached on love. And one of the last times I preached there, I brought the pastor and the assistant pastor up and the board member up, board members. And I lined them up across the front of the church. And I took a towel and I got down and I started wiping their feet because I was trying to show them what would rid the body of what could destroy it. And one of the ministers in that church, his wife went to my wife after. And she said, oh, my husband would never do that. Yeah, that's the problem. Oh, yeah, they managed to build that building. They moved into it. But they moved into it some 50 or 60 people after a split had decimated that body. And sin had ravaged that body. There's a reason before he transferred the power of his spirit. He had a supper where he grabbed a basin of water and a towel. And he got down because he said, I've got to purify you before I can empower you. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you who to pray for. But I'm telling you right now, if you'll be sensitive to the Lord, God will move on you right now to go to somebody and pray for them. You, you may not know what you're going to pray yet. You may get there and just start speaking in tongues. The Lord may give you a word of prophecy for them. You may know what they have need of. But I'm telling you, Dan McLeod doesn't do miracles. Pastor Wright doesn't do miracles. Jesus does miracles. And I'll tell you how he does it. He does it through love one towards another. When we have compassion one towards another, another when we'll humble ourselves to serve one another and we'll humble ourselves to receive from one another in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus yes yes yes
That's it. That's it. Let the Lord lead you. Let Him direct your words. Flow in that unction of the Spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, there's a miracle flowing through your love. There's healing flowing through your love. There's deliverance flowing through your love. There's direction flowing through your love. Come on, there's strength. There's encouragement. It's coming through that love. It's coming through your pure motive. It's coming from your desire to build up, to strengthen, to encourage, to serve. Yes, 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 that's it. Come on, let the Spirit flow through you. Let it flow through this sanctuary. Yes, 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 yes. Not by might, not by power. It's not by your ability. It's not by your charisma. It's not by your personality. It's not by your gifts. No, it's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes.
In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let healing flow through harmony right now, harmony one with another. Let dominion come to our life. Let it come through the absence of division. Bring us into one, one thought, one purpose. A love one for another. A willingness to serve one another, lift one another. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let organs be healed right now. Let bones be healed right now. Let the pain of joints disappear right now. Let the cloud of confusion be lifted right now. Let the weariness of mind be lifted right now. Robo shakando riada bahasando rokote amandaye. In the name of Jesus. Horoboko shakarabayatando lobosia kataye. Rebosata yanaraboko yororobosia katalamahaye. Lord, let your power be revealed by your character. Let the ministry of your spirit flow through the nature of it now, God. Lord, as we become like you, let your power move through us one to another. Lord, let it be, let it be.
the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let me have your attention just for a minute. Let me have your attention just for a minute. I want to tell you one more thing and then you can go back to prayer. And I'm done. Your pastor can come whenever. Even Jesus, who had opened blinded eyes, made the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, he, he, he brought the dead back to life. He himself will be raised from the dead in just, just a few days. Even Jesus who said he had all power in heaven and earth while carrying a cross that was necessary was willing to receive the help of somebody else to get the cross to where it had to go. If even he who had all power had a weakness in his flesh in both a need and a willingness to let somebody help him carry the cross. How much more, how much more do we have need of our brother or our sister helping us carry some things every now and then? I'm telling you, we have a lot of people that never reach a place of victory and dominion in their life because of their unwillingness to receive it from the vessel the Lord chooses to send it with. God help us have the humility to recognize as called as we might be, as powerful as we might be, as gifted as we may be, there'll still be moments I'm going to need somebody else to step out from the crowd and help me carry my cross. And so will you. Would you just lift your hands again? Would you just let the Spirit of the Lord wash over you? Let Him refresh you right now. You know what it's like when you step into a cool breeze on a hot day? I wish you'd just let that time of refreshing. I wish you'd let the Spirit just like a cool breeze blow through your spirit right now. Touch us now, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You've prayed for one another, but it might be the Lord would have you just find somebody now and say, I want you to know I appreciate you. I love you. If there's anything I can ever do to help you, this is my number. You know you can call me. You ever need me to pray with, with anything, you, you ever need help, there's, if there's any everything I can do to serve you, the Bible says Jesus just went about doing good. 
If there's anything I can ever do to help you, if there's any good I can do, just, just let me know. But don't say if you don't mean it. Why don't you just find somebody and speak a good word to them? You don't got to say, I prophesy this. You just got to tell them, tell them I appreciate you. Brother, I love you. I'm thankful for you. You say, is this really necessary? Oh, yes. This is all that stuff Paul wrote about, about edifying one another, building up one another.